This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you'd like to follow along with your Bible, I'm going to begin in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food, and the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I thought that this would be a good time to talk about what the Bible has to say regarding fear, worry, and anxiety. Uh, Given the circumstances that the world and this country currently finds itself in, I thought it would be a good reminder. Everyone's familiar with this feeling that we all have, and given what is reported in the media and now uh, you know, we have government restrictions regarding uh, travel and and what it is folks are allowed to do, and it generates worry, it generates anxiety, a panic in a society, and so it's a problem with which everyone is familiar, even before COVID-19, of course, but it's especially ramped up during, during this time. Uh, there's a, a few quotes that I want to share with you to introduce our, our study uh, that I really like that I think, capture uh, really how constructive worry is. It says, worry is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. And also, worry is a fast getaway on a wooden horse. And, um, and I don't read those to, you know, to be glib or to, you know, make a lot of the situation. But I think that there's biblical truth within those quotes um, because they show how counter, how really counterproductive uh, being anxious, uh, worried, uh, and, and being in this just constant state of uh, anxiety, how counterproductive those things are, and what the Christians approach, you know, what what should the Christians approach uh, be um, to anything, whether we're talking about coronavirus or uh, anything else that could be a reason for uh, worry. What can we do about it? Uh, let's just think about and just dissect and and kind of peel back what what anxiety is and what, what worry really is. And, you know, we don't articulate this much, but, you know, anxiety, we understand it's just it's distress. It's a form of distress, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't feel good, and it's distress specifically, usually about future uncertainties. Uh, and it's characterized by, uh, you know, agitation that we have in, in our minds, you know, this general feeling of uneasiness that we have, and it can be mild or severe, and 
you know, the, the, and the, the, the things that cause us anxiety, they can be very real. Uh, we could be facing very real imminent threats, or they could be imagined ones to, to our well-being. Um, and this feeling of vulnerability that, that we have to inadequately protect ourselves against these threats, either real or imagined, leads to uh, these, these feelings that are very powerful. Uh, but uh, there's ultimately one thing that is behind all of it, and that is fear. And it doesn't matter how we really slice it or what um, what it is that's causing us this, whether we're talking about the threat of social rejection or physical injury or disease or poverty or death. All of these things bring about anxiety, worry, uh, tension within us because we're, we're afraid of them, right? Isn't that the bottom line? We feel insecure because we're, we're afraid something bad is going to happen or we're, we feel helpless because we're afraid that there is nothing I can do. We feel isolated because we're afraid that there is no one to help me. And so you have all these things that can operate individually or in combination with, with one another on an emotional level within us, and they cause us a great deal of worry and anxiety. Again, if, if they're imagined or, you, or, they're, or they're real, but bottom line is anxiety, worry, it's a form of fear, and we have to recognize it as such. And so a, a Bible study about worry and understanding, I think what Jesus means by worry and, and getting at the heart of this text is really understanding what the Bible says about fear and what we should be afraid of and what we should not be afraid of. And that's more or less the approach we're going to take today. So let's just ask the question, what does the Christian have to be afraid of? What should the Christian be afraid of? Uh, You know, Christians feel helpless. Christians feel anxious. Jesus knew this would be a problem for his people. That's why he's giving us this teaching in in Matthew chapter 6. So um, I want to go to Isaiah 41, and I want to look at some words that God gave to his his ancient people, ancient Israel, in Isaiah 41, verses 9 through 11. So I'm just going to read three verses here. And listen to what the prophet says, what God says through the prophet Isaiah. He says, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. And I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored, and those who contend with, contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. Now, I know that this verse was originally addressed to exiled Jews, or those who would eventually go into exile, um, and that they would suffer a long and painful captivity at the hands of Babylonians. But it's still full of meaning for God's people today. Just as it was then, so it is now, that God's people have nothing to fear under any circumstances. He is our Redeemer, our Savior, and if we become weak, He will strengthen us with His right hand. Life is going to throw any number of things at us. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9.11 that time and chance happen to us all. But no matter what happens, we can know that God is on our side. If we are on His side, that He is our protector, that if God before us, as Paul says in Romans 8.31, who can be against us? And that knowledge should give us great great comfort, but it's contingent really upon our faith. And do we believe God's promises? Do we believe and trust Him in what He says in places like Isaiah 41.9-11? through 11? 
And I think it can be easy to forget these promises when everyone and everything seems to be against us. And we're being hard-pressed from all sides. To borrow Paul's words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. You know, he and his company, like so many Christians in the first century, faced challenges, especially with regard to persecution, that uh, Christians in our time, by and large, at least in this part of the world, haven't had to face to the same degree. But nevertheless, the, the principle still stands that when Paul felt these pressures and, and all these things that were against him, human or otherwise, he placed his faith and trust in God. Right? He, in other words, he didn't focus on the calamity around him uh, because that's exactly what the enemy wants. God wants us to, to focus and trust in him. The enemy wants us to focus on the calamity and the circumstance. He wants us to worry. He knows that if we can just if we just keep imbibing that and we just you know wallow in the the terribleness around us that we're going to be distracted and we're going to be anxious we're going to be afraid and we're going to be crippled in that fear and we're going to feel isolated and we're going to feel helpless and we're going to feel insecure. But when we go to the Word, Jesus is teaching us and, and the Word is, is telling us that the reality is that, yes, terrible things do happen, but God God sees it all. He is still sovereign and He is still at, at the side of His people. You know, Jesus told His original disciples, the first disciples, that they were going to endure many terrible things. But in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and verse 20, He says, I want you to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, and notice he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I know he was talking to a specific set of men, but I believe the truth still applies for us, that the principle still applies for us because of what we read in, in Romans, places like Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, or Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, where the, the promise is more general. The writer says there, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For God himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And so we could go through many passages like this, but ultimately the answer is really going to be the same when we're talking about the remedy for anxiety and the, 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 you know, the cure for worry is greater trust and confidence in God and his ability to deal with anything that threatens us, human or otherwise. Let me just read through a few passages here, kind of rapid fire, that enforce that, that very truth for us. So I'm going to begin in Isaiah 40, 31. So I'm, again, I'm just going to go through these fairly quickly, and I just want you to listen carefully to what Scripture is saying here. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength, they will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. John 14, 1, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Philippians four thirteen, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8, Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give them give it to them as an inheritance. 
The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you, and he will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The more we learn about God and spend time in his word and, and come to see him more clearly and, and his infinite power and what he's capable of and also how concerned he is for his people, the less our anxiety is going to be because the less afraid we're going to be of people, of diseases, of the future, of whatever the case may be. You know, that, that last text, Peter is calling us to humble ourselves before him and cast our anxiety on him. But that assumes that we have some knowledge of him. How can we humble ourselves before God when we don't know who he is? When we haven't taken the time to, to read and, and, and understand just how powerful he is, how great he is, and how much he loves us, and how much he's done for us already, so that regardless of what happens here, we can have confidence and we can look forward to a home in eternity with him. And so what are some practical steps we can take to mitigate fear and worry and anxiety in a time like this? Well, as we've been talking about, read the Bible and pray. We want to commit ourselves to God's safekeeping, but that requires that we grow in our knowledge of him and our love for him. And so the, the way that we do that is to come to a greater knowledge of him through the scriptures. We study the scriptures, we pray, we meditate on his promises and we see and we and we reinforce in our minds and we remind ourselves just how faithful he is and how faithful he's been to his people throughout history. I'm going to read a, a bevy of passages again to substantiate those points. And I'm going to begin in Romans 15:4 where Paul says whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Isaiah 26 and verse 3, the steadfast of mind will keep you, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Psalm 27 verses 13 and 14, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Job 19, 25, 27, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see, I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Psalm 119 and verse 165. Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. So how can we have Perfect, undisturbed peace. It's not that we just become emotionally numb um, or that our feelings go away or or the, or the even the things that uh, cause us to be afraid go away. Circumstances certainly don't change. The world is still going to go the way of the world. Evil will still exist, natural and moral. But by staying and keeping our minds focused on the Lord, you see, according to those passages, we can have peace despite those things. 
you know, folks may try to convince us that peace of mind can be found in, in the right vacation spot or owning property or having a certain kind of insurance or, or uh, the removal of the things that causes anxiety, like disease, like whatever. But that's just not going to happen. And with a number of things that, that I mentioned, there's nothing wrong with those um, things in and of themselves, like having a right, having a, a nice vacation. But they they are not where true and real lasting peace lies. That kind of peace can only be found and received and enjoyed in fellowship with God and putting your faith in Him. In the original language, the word perfect does not appear um, in, in Isaiah 26 and verse 3 where the writer says, the one whose mind is stayed on you, you will keep in, in perfect peace. But rather the text says, peace, peace. So think about that verse again, using that wording. The one whose mind is fixed on God can have peace, peace. Peace that is abundant and peace that is constant. So we want to we want to immerse ourselves in his word, not in Fox News or Drudge Report or you know other other sources that aren't going to bring peace of mind. They're going to to some degree help us be informed so we can make reasonable decisions. Um, but to our detriment, to a to a large degree, they're they're going to spread panic, and they're going to engender fear and worry. And so we need to be immersing ourselves in the Word and the promises and the commands of God. And also, we need to pray. The avenue of prayer is open to the Christian for God's help, and that's one of the the great blessings that we find in Jesus Christ. First John 5:14. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So God has promised peace of mind to those who are willing to commit their anxieties to him. Right? We read that in 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7 a moment ago that that idea of casting our anxieties or casting our cares upon him. He wants us to to give a voice to those things and not be not be an alarmist and and sound uh, panic and, and drum up more fear, but lay them at his his feet and stay humble before him. Paul in, in Philippians one twenty eight, he as he's describing their work as a church there and what their attitude should he should be, he says, in no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. And I know in the context he's talking about you know, persecution from, from human sources. But uh, I think the principle still holds true that we're, Christians are not to be, um, you know, sounding the alarm constantly, but we're to be a, a people who have confidence and peace, again, in, in the worst circumstances. You think about Paul in Acts chapter 16 as an example in that regard, and Silas when they're thrown in prison and, and they've done nothing wrong and they're, they're in the innermost cell. You know, they could be bemoaning their state and they could be, uh, whining or complaining or shouting at the guard or whatever the case may be, uh, in, in sound, trying to sound the alarm that they're that they're innocent, but that's not what they're doing. Instead, in Acts chapter sixteen, what we find them doing is worshiping God, singing hymns, and those who are around them are are listening. The other prisoners in, in the cell, and so times of crisis in and uncertainty can actually be great opportunities for Christians to teach others and to 
to be a living, breathing example of the power of the Word of God and, and how it affects one's heart and one's life. And how, how we can have peace even when the rest of the world is, is falling apart. And how we can be content despite those things. Because peace of mind, again, biblically, it doesn't depend on having every problem in the world solved or righting all the wrongs and getting all that we want or removing everything that could be a source of anxiety. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, Sharat, Meshach, and Abednego said to King Nebuchadnezzar that we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So here are some men who are in tremendous under tremendous pressure. They're saying this thing to ne- these things to Nebuchadnezzar because he's threatening to kill them. Yeah, they recognize some things are not going to change. Their circumstance wasn't going to change in, in the moment and didn't change the fact that they had to fulfill their duty to God and didn't change their love for God. And maybe this problem wasn't going to have a solution. There, uh, an earthly solution that was beneficial to them and saved their lives. They, and they recognize that, right? Even if God doesn't save us physically from this fire, we're not going to betray him. And so there's some things, there's some situations that just simply have to be lived through. Now we know in that story, God ultimately did. But I, I seize upon their example because they acknowledge the possibility that you know, it, it may that may have been the last day for them on earth. But they knew God and they loved God and they weren't going to betray him. And that emboldened them. That gave them so much peace and so much courage that they could say that in the face of death. They could say, We're not we're not going to bend. We're not going to break. We're not going to cow to you. We're going to continue to faithfully serve. And so we have to prepare ourselves to do the same thing. Um, and that begins with being real, being realistic and understanding that situations could even get worse. Uh, you know, I look to Jeremiah, the prophet, as an example. He, he's a guy who suffered a great deal at the hands of his own countrymen. They plotted to kill him because he told them the truth. Um, he didn't have an easy task telling the very same people that they were going to suffer because of their rebellion. And, and occasionally he, Jeremiah even entreats God, asks God to hasten his judgment and drag the people off to carnage and slaughter in Jeremiah 12 verses one through four. Now I think we can sympathize with this man because he was just surrounded with so many wicked people like Lot, who Peter says in second Peter two and verse eight, his righteous soul was tormented by the wicked deeds he continually saw and heard. And Jeremiah thought he had it tough from a human perspective. I guess he did. But when he came to a crossroads and he, and he had to make a decision about to, whether he was going to continue obeying God and teaching his truth and, and, and preaching the message that he gave him or mitigating that or, or dialing it back and preserving his own livelihood and his own, his own life, he chose to continue serving God. In Jeremiah 20, verses 8 and 9, it says, Whenever I speak, I cry out, I proclaim violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become to me a reproach and a derision all day long. So he's acknowledging 
that in, in speaking the truth and obeying the truth, that it's leading to derision and it's, it's leading to reproach upon him. And he's suffering, you know, any number of things. But then in verse 9 he says, But if I say I will not mention him or speak in his name anymore, his word becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones, and I become weary of holding it in. And he says, I cannot. I cannot. You see, he couldn't, he couldn't stop in good conscience. He knew that regardless of the physical terrible things that were going to happen to him, that it would be worth it so long as he stayed true to his God. That was a difficult time for Jeremiah, but we need that same kind of resilience. We need more endurance to face tougher obstacles and greater dangers and more faith to understand that regardless of the risk that we take here in in, in serving God, it's going to be worth it in the end. We can become so easily distracted by relatively unimportant things and uh, cease caring enough about the things that we ought to care about. And so we need to live one day at a time and remember Jesus' words that sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. And so proper use of today, I think, diminishes anxiety about tomorrow. Anxiety and idleness go hand in hand. And so we want to redeem the time and make the most of the opportunity. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, when the disciples return after they've gone to go buy food and, and Jesus, they find Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman at the well and he's revealed himself to her and she's excited and she's going. We'll, we'll go eventually and tell the town to come and see this man, Jesus, and hear him teach. Um, the disciples are... Uh, asking about food and if someone brought him something to eat as he's teaching him these very important spiritual lessons about his food being to do the will of God, who the will of his Father who sent him. And I think with, within that moment, you know, we, we catch a glimpse of ourselves because we're often, just like the disciples, we're, we're concerned with um, uh, personal comforts and physical food and physical health, and, and those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. But when we go to such great lengths to nurture and protect those comforts, and even greater lengths than we would to preserve our souls and nourish our faith by the Word of God and and do the will of Him who is our Creator, we end up losing our souls over it. So my friends, we don't have to be torn apart by by worry. We shouldn't be if we're we're Christians. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so there's a way, a right way that we need to pray here. Whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action ought to be to get alone with God and pray to Him and worship Him and adore Him and and remind ourselves of His greatness and His majesty and His power and His love and all the things that He's promised those who love Him. We have to be reminded that he's big enough to solve all our problems. He's not absent. He sees exactly what is happening. And there's no place for half-hearted, insincere prayer. We need to earnestly share our needs with him. As 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says that we read a moment ago, cast all our cares and anxieties on him. This is the way Jesus prayed in the garden while his closest disciples were sleeping. 
And so it's we're talking about a sincere spiritual intensity. And then we need to give God thanks in all circumstances. And the end of the result of this kind of praying, Paul says, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. We need to give our hearts to Christ and continue to obey Him so that we can enjoy such peace. God has promised peace of mind to His people when they commit their anxieties to Him and and continue to walk in the light as He is in the light. You know, this is the exact thing that Paul goes on to describe here. If you were to continue reading in Philippians chapter 4, he talks about godly living and imitating the example that he set before the, the disciples and how this contributes to our peace. And this is a principle that's found in the Old Testament as well. Isaiah 32 and verse 17, The work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and peace. You know, there's so much good that can be accomplished right now, even in these adverse circumstances. We have to quit concentrating on what cannot be done and what we can do. If we are walking with the Lord, then peace of God and the God of peace exercise their influence over our hearts. But if we choose to remain static and and crippled with worry and anxiety and fear, that leads to disobedience and we're going to lose that peace that we have with God, and we're going to lose the peace of mind that He has promised. And so we need to get busy praying. We need to get busy thinking the right way, focusing on those things, as Paul says in verse 8 of Philippians 4, that are good and peaceable and true and lovely, and then living according to the example of Christ. These are the conditions for having a secure mind and victory over worry. So either we yield our hearts and minds to God and we practice those things or we we yield to our flesh and we find ourselves torn apart by anxiety, by panic, worry. When Jesus is saying there's no need for that. If we love him and have obeyed his gospel and continue to do our very best to serve him regardless of circumstance, the peace of God will guard us and we can take, take risks that others cannot in the world because we're no longer subject to fear. I appreciate you tuning in today. I hope that this has been a beneficial study for you. It reminded you of the wonderful promises of God and the peace that, that we can have through His Son, Jesus Christ. So have you done what is necessary to obtain those spiritual blessings? So that no matter what happens here, you can look forward to heaven. I'm Jason Garcia. And this has been Faithful Sayings.